Tonight we'd take, like to take a look at chapter 50 in the book of Genesis. This will record the burial of Jacob and also the death of Joseph. Sunday morning we ended up in chapter 49 where it said that Jacob yielded up the ghost and was gathered unto his people. Jacob had said all he needed to say and done all he needed to do in his last hours. After giving a charge to his 12 sons, after giving a prophetic message concerning each one of them and their future, giving all of them a charge to be sure that he wasn't buried in Egypt, but he was to be taken out of Egypt, back to the land of Canaan, be buried with his fathers. He then drew his feet up into the bed, yielded up the ghost, and was gathered unto his people. I love the language there. Some similar things are said about his father Isaac, about his father, grandfather Abraham. It's interesting to me to notice how the Lord goes into great details in certain situations, certain people about their death and what took place at their death and how he expressed it. For example, with Abraham, his death is reco- uh, recorded in Genesis 25. Abraham died at 175. Bible says he died in a good old age, an old man, full of years, and was gathered unto his people. I really like that expression, gathered unto his people. The 35th chapter of Genesis records the death of Isaac. Not as much detail. It says he gave up the ghost. He died in a good old age, and he was 180, and he was gathered unto his people. See, when Abraham and Isaac and Jacob took their last breath, they went from being among their people here to being among their people there. They went from this world to that world. They went from this earth to a place called heaven. It happened immediately. Their souls and spirits departed instantaneously when they drew their last breath, not visible to the sight of man, but rather it just went there. And they were gathered again to their people, their earthly journey being over. In the 23rd chapter of Genesis, we read about the death of Sarah. She was 127. And the Bible goes in a lot of detail about Sarah's burial and the arrangements made for her burial by Abraham. Uh, He bought a piece of land to bury her in, and that would be the family burial plot. It's where he would be buried, again, along with Sarah, and then Isaac and Rebekah. And Jacob buried Leah there, and that's where Jacob wanted to be buried. We're told the age of Sarah. Now, Sarah didn't tell her age. She's like most women. They don't tell their age. And I guess they got a lot of Bible behind them on that because Sarah's the only woman in the Bible we know the age of. And she didn't tell her age, but God told us what her age was. So God told us she was 127 years old when she passed away. But Abraham was, uh, he took great pains and went into a lot of effort and labor to be sure there was a burial place. See, when the Jews died, they believed in burial. They did not believe in cremation. And they'd be wrapped in cloth and with spices and usually laid in a tomb or in a sepulcher, uh, even without a coffin. 
they believed that the body would go back to dust in which it was created out of. Yeah, have you ever heard this expression, dust for dust and ashes for ashes? You ever heard that? Well, if you ever ask somebody where they got that, if they tell you they got it out of the Bible, you can say, well, I'm glad to know that because it's not in the Bible. They, as I say from time to time, they got it way out of the Bible. To the left of Genesis over here, to the right of Revelation, that's where they got it out of the Bible. There's no such thing as dust to dust and ashes to ashes. Jews didn't believe in ashes. Jews didn't believe in cremation. But the Jews did believe that this body that was made out of dust would go back to dust. Now, Abraham buried Sarah. And when he died, his sons buried him. And that's another thing I learned from studying the Bible about these situations, is when death occurs, people should respond with great care to try to give comfort to the family. Death brings sorrow. Death can bring a lot of grief. Now, we should not be overcome with grief. We should not be overcome with sorrow. That's why Paul writes like he does in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. In verse 13, he says, I'm not to have you ignorant, brother, concerning them which sleep in Christ, that you sorrow not, even those others which have no hope. He didn't say that you should sorrow not and stop it there. He says, it's others which have no hope. You have hope. So your sorrow should not be like the sorrow of others. The truth will keep you from entering into a prison of sorrow. I've seen people in captivity to sorrow and to grief. And the best way that we can honor those who've passed away is to care for those who remain. And we'll see that happening in the life of Joseph in just a few minutes or so. But we find where Jacob gave up the ghost, yielded up the ghost, the Bible says, and was gathered unto his people. So chapter 50 opens up with Joseph weeping over his father. Notice verse 1. And Joseph fell upon his father's face and wept upon him and kissed him. This is the sixth time in Joseph's life we find him weeping. We find him weeping again for number seven in this chapter later on. But this is uh, weeping time number six for Joseph. When I look at the life of Joseph, I see a man of compassion. I see a man that was sympathetic. I see a man who cared. I see a man with emotion. I see a man of kindness. I see a man that didn't let his trials and tribulations turn him into a bitter man. Uh, and this is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ also was a man of compassion and a man who wept. See, Joseph wasn't ashamed to cry. He wasn't ashamed to shed tears. Some people in this world think it's a sign of weakness to shed tears. But God blessed us with the ability to shed tears. That can help you tremendously when you go through things like this. We find Joseph fell upon his father's neck, kissed his father. He wept uh, there concerning his father. He loved his father. And he wasn't ashamed for people to know he loved him to the degree that he was willing to shed these tears on behalf of his father. Well, look at the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. I find, uh, as it's normally referred to as the shortest verse in the Bible, in John eleven thirty five, 35, when he comes to the grave of Lazarus. And what does it say? It says, Jesus wept. He wept because a good friend of his had died. He wept because his good friend had two sisters and they were grieving and he was grieving for them. The Bible says that we should rejoice with those that rejoice and we should weep with those that weep. I find in the book of Luke where the Lord Jesus Christ comes to Jerusalem and the Bible says, and Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Why would he weep over Jerusalem? 
Well, Jerusalem is called in the Bible, the beloved city. It's called the holy city. It's also a chosen city. Jerusalem was a city that was chosen by God for his people to come to that city where the temples be built and they will worship God in that city. That city was a special place for the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet the inhabitants of that city despised Jesus and they rejected Jesus. They denied Jesus, did not receive him as the promised Messiah. And Jesus knew in a few short years, in 70 AD, the Roman army was going to come and destroy that city. Jesus knew that. And the Bible says, and Jesus wept. In the last part of Matthew 23, Matthew describes it like this. As Jesus wept, he looked upon the city and said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I gather thee as a hen, gather her chickens under her wings, and you would not. Can you see him standing on the outside of the city, looking at this beloved city, looking at this holy city, looking at this city that was chosen by his father centuries before, where so many times they'd come and made those offerings and sacrifices according to Moses' law, the ceremony law being carried out there, but he knew it was only going to last a short time later. And Jesus wept. Seven different times, at least seven different times in the Gospels, you will find where the Bible says, and Jesus had compassion. See, there's three important C's in the Christian's life that you need to always remember. There's the C of concern, there's the C of care, and there's the C of compassion. I'm talking about the letter C. Are those in my life? Are they in your life? Do we really care? Do we really, are we really concerned with the welfare of other people, and do we have compassion upon other people? That's, that's very important. If it was not for the Lord's compassion, where would we be tonight? Jeremiah answers that in the book of Lamentations. He said, the Lord's, what? Mercies and his compassions that were not consumed. They're new every morning. Every morning we see the testimony of the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ and his mercy upon us. And that's why we're still living, we're still breathing, we're still walking, still moving, and still able to do the things that we do here in life. It's because of the mercies of the Lord. His compassions, Jeremiah says, they fail not. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father, and the physicians embalmed Israel. Now, you might say, well, why did they embalm him when you just got through telling us that the Jews... Uh, didn't do any bombing. Well, it's going to be a long journey. Uh, it's going to be a long journey. It's going to be days of mourning. They're going to, have to take him from Egypt into the land of Canaan. It's going to take a long time to do all that. From that point of view, it was necessary. So they embalmed him. And 40 days were fulfilled for him. For so are fulfilled the days of those which are embalmed. And the Egyptians mourned for him three score and ten years. Notice, even the Egyptians are mourning. Now, why would the Egyptians mourn? You'll find that they're involved in this journey back to Canaan's land. Well, Joseph is the governor of the land. This is the father of the governor. This is the father of Joseph. He's the governor. Jacob's his father. They are showing respect for this man that they've come to admire and love themselves because of, because of Joseph, they're still breathing. Because of Joseph, they're still living. It was Joseph that... Uh, you know, was the administrator of the land during the seven years of plenty, father the seven years of famine. He was a man of great wisdom. Had it not been for Joseph, none of these people would be alive. They loved and respected him. When his father died, they mourned right along with Joseph. 
When the days of his mourning were past, Joseph spake unto the house of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found grace in your eyes, speak, I pray you, in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Lo, I die in my grave, which I dig for me in the land of Canaan. There shalt thou bury me. Now, therefore, let me go up, I pray thee, and bury my father, and I'll come again. And Pharaoh said, Go up and bury thy father, according as he made thee swear. Have you noticed as we've looked in, the, in Joseph's life in connection with Pharaoh, do you ever find one time that Pharaoh denied Joseph? Do you find one time where Pharaoh ever said no to Joseph? That's quite remarkable as far as I'm concerned. Pharaoh was an Egyptian. Joseph is a Hebrew. Joseph was in prison one time. But ever since he was out of prison and he told Pharaoh his dream, what it was, the interpretation of it, which again was telling him there's going to be those seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine, we find that Joseph always pleased Pharaoh. When I look at the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, in John chapter 8, I find where the Bible says, oh, well, the Lord Jesus Christ spoke and said, Father, I always do those things that please thee. When he was at the grave of Lazarus in John chapter 11, he cries with a loud voice to heaven and he says, Father, I thank thee that has heard me. He says, but I know thou always hearest me. You know why the Father always heard Jesus? It's because Jesus always did the Father's will. Jesus never disappointed the Father. Joseph never disappointed Pharaoh. Joseph never made Pharaoh angry. Joseph never upset Pharaoh in one, in one instant whatsoever. Every time Joseph needed something, Pharaoh was there in support and Pharaoh gave the green light. Very remarkable, the providence of God. And Joseph went up to bury his father and just listen to this right quick. And with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, all the elders of the land of Egypt, and all the house of Joseph and his brethren and his father's house, only their little ones and their flocks and their herds they left in the land of Goshen. And then went up to him both chariots and horsemen. It was a very great company. Can you see the picture? Can you visualize the picture tonight? You know, when we have a funeral, say here, or wherever it may be, but say here, and we go to the cemetery, there might be a line of 15 or 20 cars or 25 cars following the hearse to the cemetery, and people recognize the funeral procession when they see it. But my friends, this here was exceptional. It's a lot of people here. There's horses, there's chariots, uh, all of Joseph's family, except for the little ones, and also the officers, all the officers in the land of Egypt. They're all going this journey back to the land of Canaan, to go along with Joseph and his family to bury his father. And they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond Jordan. And there they mourned with a great and sore lamentation and made a mourning for his father seven days. We have 70 days. We have 40 days. We have seven days. And when the inhabitants of the land of Canaan saw the mourning in the floor of Atad, they said, This is a grievous mourning to the Egyptians, wherefore the name of it was called Abel Mizoram, which is beyond Jordan. And his sons did unto him according as he commanded them. They carried out Jacob's wishes. Even the people of the land took notice of this great funeral procession. You know what they were saying? They, they had to be saying this had to be an important man. This had to be a special person. Well, Jacob was important. Jacob was special to his family, to his sons. But Jacob himself did nothing really special for Egypt. But he was, again, the father of Joseph, who was the governor. So he was a special man. And he received this special treatment. So they make it back. And they 
carried him to the land of Canaan, buried him in the cave of the field of Machaleb, which Abraham bought with the field for possession of a burying place of Ephron the Hittite before Mamre. And Joseph returned unto Egypt, he and his brother, and all that went up with him to bury his father after he had buried his father. Now, you know what this is telling me? It's telling me when somebody passes away that's close to us, and we take care of everything like Joseph did. Joseph made great preparations to bury his father, just like his father said. Which also we should learn the lesson tonight, that Jacob, before he died, made great preparations himself. He had it all lined up. He had it all spelled out. He made sure that Joseph had sworn he would take him out of there. Then he got all 12 sons charged to take him out of there, and he put Joseph in charge. When Joseph pulled up in that bed and yielded up the ghost and was gathered to his people, he went away from him assured that everything's going to be carried out just like he said. But when it's all over, life goes on, doesn't it? When it's all over with, we have to go back. Things don't wait on us. And they went back to Egypt. Joseph went back being the governor. He went back being in the, uh, there in the palace, you might say, there where Pharaoh was at. And his brother went back taking care of the cattle of Pharaoh. Remember how Pharaoh had said, let them take care of my cattle? When Joseph explained to him what they did and how good they were at it, Pharaoh says, well, let them take care of my cattle. So they went back doing that because these things had to be done. So they went back to what they were doing before. And when Joseph's brother, verse 15, when Joseph's brother saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. Now there's a wonderful lesson in this. Why would they think such a thing? This tells me that while their father Jacob was living, they were depending upon Jacob to stand between them and Joseph. They knew what evil they had done. They knew what they deserved at the hand of Joseph. But now Jacob's removed out of the picture. Joseph no longer there. But why would they think such a thing? Had not Joseph forgiven them? Had not Joseph wept over them on more than one occasion? Had not Joseph explained unto them that what they did, they didn't mean for evil, but God overruled it for good, and because God had placed him there in his providence, he was able to take care, basically, of the world of that day. He took care of his own family. Did he not send back for them and get his father and their families and all their little ones and bring them down to the land of Egypt? Did he not set aside the land of Goshen? Did he not feed them, protect them, and take care of them? What more could he have done for them? You know what? They just didn't believe him. Apparently they didn't believe him. Jacob is gone, and now they're afraid that Joseph is not going to treat them now like he did before. Now sometimes I've seen God's people, you know, basically not believe what the Bible has to say about these kind of things. Have you ever doubted the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, the disciples one time was in that ship in the first storm, you know, in Matthew chapter 8. And the Lord was asleep in the ship and a great storm came upon the ship and the waves are beating into the ship. And we find those disciples going, wake Jesus up. And what did they say to him? What were the very first words they said to him? They said, doth not thou care? Why would they say such a thing? <laughs> had they ever had an experience when he didn't care? Had they ever had an experience when they... When Jesus didn't show compassion and kindness and provide for them, not one time could they point when that ever took place. The weakness of human nature, the weakness and frailty of human nature. 
we have a tendency to forget those things that's just happened where God took care of us and delivered us and blessed us when we face new trials of life, don't we? And now when their father Jacob has passed, we find where they begin to talk about one another. One day, it's just like they kind of looked at each other and said, you know what, Jacob's not here anymore. Our father's not here anymore. Surely now, Joseph will take revenge upon us for what we did unto them. And when they sent a messenger to Joseph, they didn't go to him personally. <laughs> they sent a messenger. Sent him saying, our father did command before he died, saying, you know, there's no record where Jacob ever said this. I think they made it up. <laughs> I'm sure they made it up. And they sent a messenger to Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did of thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And when they said that, look, here is number seven. And Joseph wept. Why did Joseph weep here? I believe he wept because he didn't believe him. I think he, he, he wept because he couldn't believe that they would think such a thing about him when he showed such marvelous compassion, such marvelous care, such marvelous love and forgiveness to them when they came to him in the past. He caused Joseph to weep. What happens when we displease God? The Bible says something like this, that the Holy Ghost is grieved. I don't want to grieve the Holy Ghost, do you? I don't want to grieve my Heavenly Father. I don't want to grieve Him. I don't want to grieve the, the Holy Ghost. That's exactly what happens when we displease God. And Joseph wept right here when he saw that they had these kind of thoughts. And again, there's no record where Jacob ever told Joseph. He had 17 years to tell Joseph this, and there's no record where he ever told him this. <laughs> I think they made it up. And his brother also went and fell down before his face and said, Behold, we be thy servants. You know, you can't earn forgiveness. You can't earn the favor of God. <laughs> Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For the grace of you saved through faith, that not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Titus 3 and 5, not by works of rights which we've done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us from the washing and regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. It's not by works of righteousness. They could fall down all they wanted to. They could say, we'll be thy servants all they wanted to. But Joseph was, had already forgiven them. He didn't have to forgive them again. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, the Apostle John says, If we confess our sins before him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When you confess your sins to God, John says he's faithful to forgive you. He's just to forgive you. And once he forgives you, he cleanses you from all unrighteousness, which means he closes a chapter, my friends, on that time in your life. It's over with, it's done, and the Lord's not going to bring it back up again. Aren't you glad of that perfect kind of forgiveness that God gives us? And that's the kind of forgiveness we're to give one another. If we truly forgive somebody, we're not going to bring it back up again. If it's settled, it's settled. And when you do what John says, it's settled. 1 John 5 and 14, John says, This is the confidence we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And we know if he heareth us, we have the petitions that we've asked of him. Now they've come to Joseph. They, they fell, fall before him. They did this in the past. And Joseph forgave them and he loved them. And he wept over their necks. And now they come one more time. I guess they needed more assurance. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I don't have anything much wrong uh, to say against needing more assurance. I never have had an oversupply of it. <laughs> I never had so much assurance. I've never said, well, I don't need no more assurance. I've, I've got all I need. About the time I think that, my friends, my feet will get knocked right out from under me, and I'm going to have to come for more assurance. When I come to the house of God every Sunday morning on these Wednesday night meetings, uh, when I leave, I feel more assured of the love of God than I did before I got here. This world has a way of draining that away from you. This world has a way of beating that out of you, brother. And we need to go back to the word of God again. Why did they not believe Joseph? He gave them his word, and God has given us his word right here. I say to you tonight, believe who Joseph is a type of. Believe the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. If he says he's forgiven you, you're forgiven. Don't beat yourself up. It's not a matter of whether you deserve to be forgiven or not. <laughs> We're not talking about what you deserve. We're talking about what is reality. What is reality? So he said, we be thy servants. And Joseph said, them, fear not, am I, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you thought evil against me. Now Joseph knows that. Joseph reminds him, said, I know you meant evil toward me. I know that. You hadn't convinced me otherwise. I know you meant evil toward me. You hated me. You ended me. You wouldn't even listen to me. When I cried out in that pit, and you sat by that pit right there and sat down and ate and drank, while well, I made cries unto you, and you made like you never even heard me. I know you meant evil unto me. But God meant it unto good. To bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. God overruled. You know, a lot of times people like to use Romans 8.28 in situations like this. Romans 8.28 doesn't apply here. Romans 8.28 applies in the context in which it's given over here in the 8th chapter of Romans. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord, who are the called according to His purpose, and over whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. They might be the firstborn among many brethren. And maybe he did predestinate, then he also called, and we called him, he also justified and justified, then he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things, these things that work together for your good? If God be for us, who can be against us? That's what Romans 8.28 applies. The devil and the Lord are not on the same team. Your flesh and the spirit are not on the same team. This world and Christ are not on the same team. But I tell you what God can do and does do and oftentimes has done, God can bring good out of anything. That's a different story. God can bring good out of anything. God can overrule evil and bring good out of it. That's exactly what he did here in the case of Joseph. God knew those seven years of plenty was coming, those seven years of famine were coming. And if Joseph wasn't in a, in a position to manage all of that, the people of the land and the earth would perish. So God overruled and God over, just intervened. And overrode these things, you see. Thank God for an overruling God, right? Sure. Now therefore, fear ye not. The second time he tells them not to fear. I'll nourish you and your little ones. <laughs> what a compassionate man he was. <laughs> I'll nourish you. I'll nourish your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. After they doubted him. After they came fearful that he was going to mistreat them, after they came fearful that he was going to reward them evil for the evil they'd done him, he says unto them, Fear not, I'll nourish you and your little ones. He spake kindly unto them. Isn't that a picture of our Savior? Can you not see the Savior here? 
Can you not see the Savior on the right hand, the majesty on high, making intercession for you? Can you not see the Savior in heaven, brethren, uh, uh, you know, appearing in the presence of God for us? Can you not see the Savior as he looks down in your life and has compassion upon you? And says, I'll take care of you. I'll nourish you. And that's exactly what Joseph continued to do. He never changed course whatsoever in the treatment of his sons. And Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house, and Joseph lived 110 years. I thought about this when I read this actually today. He lived 110 years. Now, a little later on, we're going to be told he died at age 110, but it says here he lived 110 years. I don't know how many years I'm going to be blessed to live here in this world, and neither do you, but until that time comes, I tell you what we need to do, we need to live, Right? We need to live the time that remains before us. We need to live out the remaining years of our life, whether it be 90 or 100 or 110, whatever it might be, we need to live those years out. I've read that, that verse, I know 10 how many times in my life, and it just hit me like that when I read it today. Joseph lived 110 years. 17 years of his life was lived in Canaan's land. 93 years of his life was lived in Egypt. When he went back to Canaan and buried his father, he hadn't been back to Canaan in 39 years. He went back to his homeland 39 years after he left. When he left 39 years before that, he looked at his father's face for the last time. At least he thought for the last time. And about 22 years went by before he ever saw his father's face again. This time he goes back to the homeland. It's to bury his father. 93 years he lives down the land of Egypt. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. Their children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were brought up upon Joseph, Joseph's knees. Why tell us this? Why is that written? It's telling you what a blessed man he was. <laughs> That's why it's written. Psalms 127 says, Children are an heritage of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward. Happy is a man that hath this quiver full of them. Joseph was a blessed man. Joseph had a wife. Joseph had children. Joseph had grandchildren. And Joseph had great-grandchildren. He lived long enough to see all of them, you see. So the Lord's telling us about it. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die. Does that sound familiar? I hope it does, because I mentioned it two or three times recently. In the last part of Genesis 47, what does Jacob tell to Joseph? He says, Behold, I die. Joseph says, brother, I die, just like Jacob said. And just like Jacob said, that God will be with you, that's what Joseph said, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto the land which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Now, we can go back to a promise God made Abraham found in Genesis chapter 15, 13 through 16. And God says to Abraham, he says, Know of a surety that thou seed shall dwell in a land that is not theirs. They shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and they shall afflict them. And they shall be there 430 years. He says, But they shall come out. I will bring them out of there. And they shall come out with great substance. And I will judge that nation. Talking about the Egyptians which he did when he sends the ten plagues. God made this promise to Abraham 
close to 200 years before Joseph says these words. Abraham tells Isaac. Isaac tells Jacob. Jacob tells Joseph. Joseph believes those words that God spoke to Abraham over 200 years before that. In the book of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22, it says, By faith when Joseph died. Now notice this in contrast to the verse before it when he talks about his father Jacob. By faith, by faith Jacob, when he was a dying, D-Y-I-N-G, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph, leaning, and he worshipped leaning upon his staff. That's, that's what's recorded in Genesis 47 and 48. And then he mentions this about his son Joseph in the next verse. By faith Joseph died. Not dying, Joseph died. But he made mention that God would visit them and gave them commandment concerning his bones to bring his bones out of the land of Egypt. This is what he's saying here in Genesis 50. Notice the language again. Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, just like Jacob took an oath of his 12 sons, not to bury him in Egypt, take him to Canaan's land. Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you. Joseph knew who he was, what he believed, and where he wanted to be one day. And ye shall carry up my bones from hence. And Joseph died being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Just think about it a minute. Based on what Joseph tells his, his family, his children, and this is going to have to be passed from generation to generation, because it's going to be about 200 years after Joseph dies before this takes place. While Joseph was in that coffin temporarily in Egypt, the Israelites are going to have to go through some real, real hard times, some great afflictions, but the sight of that coffin of Joseph had to give them encouragement of what Joseph said, that God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land one day into a land that he promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You come to Exodus chapter 13, and God uses Moses to bring Israel out of Egypt, across the Red Sea. You know what Moses brought out of there? He brought the bones of Joseph out of there. Just like Joseph made them swear. It was carried out. Moses brings the bones of Joseph out of Egypt. And then they're going to have to carry the bones of Egypt around in that coffin for 40 years in the wilderness. While Joseph is in a coffin in the wilderness, he's still giving testimony of the promises of God because God promised to get them into the land of Canaan, and Joseph made them promise they'd take his bones out of there and bury him over there in the land of Canaan. Have you ever thought about that when they're traveling around for 40 years in the wilderness and they're toting the bones of Joseph right along with them for 40 years? In the book of Revelation, the Bible tells us, Blessed are those who die in the Lord, for their works do follow after them. You know where Joseph is buried? He's buried in a place called Shechem. Shechem happens to be the capital of the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh, who are Joseph's two sons. I'd say it's a pretty appropriate place to bury him, wouldn't you? I tell you, 
When Joseph died, they gave a eulogy of him. They probably needed all day long to do it. I look back at this man, I see a remarkable man. I see a man who feared God. I see a man who loved God. I see a man who served God under difficult circumstances. I see a man who had a, a hard row. I see, I see a man who, you know, was lied upon. I see a man that was despised and rejected. I see a man that was hated. I see a man that was envied. I see a man that was sold uh, for, you know, several shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites and carried away from the family. I see a man that was a servant. I see a man that was a prisoner. I see a man that was a governor. But I see the same man all along the journey, don't you? Have you ever, have you ever known somebody and you know him a long time and you might say one day, this is not the same man I knew back then. It's not the same man I knew 30 or 40 years ago. That's unfortunate that you might have ever had that kind of feeling about somebody. But I'm going to tell you one thing. If you knew Joseph 110, he was the same man you'd have known when he was 30. He believed in God, believed in the promises of God. He walked by faith. He was a man that didn't let his trials and tribulations in this world make him bitter. It just made him better. He's one of the very few men in the Bible. When you look at his life, it's hard to find anything wrong with him. Now, I knew he was a sinner. <laughs> I knew he had the same nature that I had, and I knew he wasn't perfect. But if you want to go back and find and, and uh, prove me wrong about that, just go back and restudy Genesis 37 through 50. It'll do you some good. And, uh, and you find wherever Joseph did anything wrong. I'm not saying he didn't, but I'm telling you, when you start finding it recorded in here, it's going to be a hard task for you to accomplish to find something wrong Joseph did. What a marvelous man. I tell you, I'm, a, I'm kind of sad tonight we finished this. <laughs> I really enjoyed this. And I'm a little sad that this is the last night about Joseph, but it's all I know to say about him right now. But Lord willing, as time goes on, I'll be glad to preach on him some more. <laughs>